Welcome back to another episode of That Football Stats Podcast. My name is Joe, your host. I am the founder and developer of oddalerts.com. And in this episode, we're going to take a look at what happened in the Champions League. And I'm going to go through every single Premier League game that is being played this weekend. And we are going to create two bets, both of them over evens from a couple of those Premier League games and all of the analysis and the predictions and the data that are included in this episode. So without further ado, let's look at what happened in the Champions League. We will start with Manchester United. Both Manchester clubs conceding, but for Man United now, away from home in the Champions League, there is four goals conceded at Bayern Munich, and there is four goals conceded at Copenhagen, and now three goals conceded at Galatasaray for Ten Hag. Um, it's obviously just not good enough. The keeper in, I think, all of those games has not covered himself in glory, Andre Onana. And he is shaky. I mean, he was brought in to provide an outlet from the back, you know, to play out from the back. And I just don't think, with the injuries to Varane and Casemiro not being in there, it's very difficult for for United to do that. And and you saw the same sort of patterns. Luke Shaw coming back in has, has helped them massively. But even so, the ball doesn't really stick when they pump it up. And that's something I think Ten Hag will want to work on because against Everton, it was the same sort of thing. Onana didn't really want to play it to Maguire or Lindelof. And and, and at times he would just try and get it up there, but it, it just wasn't sticking. But for Ten Hag, if that first half performance was how United have been coached and they are starting games in the right way, then it will just be... So annoying for Ten Hag that they collapse in this way in games. And it's really, really simple things that they're doing wrong. The wrong passes that are being made at the at the wrong time. And Copenhagen getting a nil-nil draw at Bayern Munich. I don't think anybody, anybody saw that one come in. And that is um, a hammer blow for Man United, who actually now, as things stand, are bottom of that group. Uh, because of the draw. So it's a really tight group going into the final game. Uh, Man United on four points, Copenhagen and Galatasaray on five points after last night and uh, Bayern Munich obviously topping that group. So Man United potentially might not even get into Europa League, which is just a, a failure of, of the club, really. It it was a tricky group because Bayern are in it, but you're, you're also a big team, Man United. You should be saying, OK, we'll take second, we'll battle Bayern Munich for that first-place spot. But they just didn't. They've fallen short, and as I say, they've conceded a bucket load of goals during the campaign. We'll mention Man United again later in the episode when we talk uh, about their upcoming game in the Premier League. But for now, to the other side of Manchester and Manchester City, who were 2-0 down in that first half, Opendo with both goals, and you have to say Diaz and Akanji look shaky, and it's not... The first time, I mean, they're no way near as bad as Man United, let's be clear. Um, they just push so many players forward and there is space which maybe Tottenham can exploit this weekend. Again, we'll get onto that. Pep will be worrying a little bit. He knows that these players have class, right? This is just a little blip, but we have seen shaky moments from Guardiola against Chelsea, from Diaz against Chelsea as well, giving away a penalty needlessly in the last few minutes of the game. And I think maybe if John Stones can come in there and stabilise things in there, um, it will help them massively, I think, going forward. As I say, they're nowhere near as, as bad as Manchester United in terms of the, the types of goals that they're conceding. Um, but individual players, I mean, Akanji and Diaz were bullied against Leipzig for the goals. They, you know, As soon as Ake come on, who I think now will be Pep's 
go-to at left-back, especially in these difficult games. He was fantastic against Salah last week and uh, didn't really give him a sniff. And coming back into the team from an injury as well, yeah, deserves credit, Nathan Ake. He's, uh, he's always been a very, very consistent performer. Arsenal got the job done. Um, not much to say there. They were fantastic. I think it was 5-0 at half-time, was it? Sort of like football manager, that, isn't it? When you have a great first half, you know that no matter what you say at half-time, whatever buttons you press, you're not going to score in the second half. That'll do Arsenal the world of good, you know, because there was a few shouts online, Jamie Carragher um, talking about Arsenal's lack of spark up top this season compared to last season. So one thing you can say about Arsenal is the Champions League campaign this year has been very good, especially at home. They are scoring a lot of goals. Um, of course, they lost at Lens. But that was a historic victory for the home team, I think, more so than... Arsenal underperforming, which they did, but they've got the job done at home. They've been really good, scoring plenty of goals. And uh, Kai Havertz making a nuisance of himself as well, just getting in. Um, I think that's his best position up top, where he can just be a bit of a poacher, get his body in the way. Um, you don't want him to be doing too much of the technical work in the middle of the park, or certainly not at left back, where Germany played him for a couple of games in the last international break. And you probably heard the stat about Celtic 15 games without a win in European competition. Um, maybe it was even just in the Champions League. It's not good, whichever way you look at it. And Brendan Rodgers will be disappointed, really, with, with that campaign. Because this season, it looks like they're going to win the league in Scotland which they should be doing given given the team. And to not even get into the Europa League as well, it is very disappointing for Celtic and I'm sure the fans who, you know, they, they, they look at Europe as something that adds a bit more excitement to the season. This season, it looks like Rangers are not going to push them all the way. But you never know um, if uh, teams get injuries or, you know, if Celtic just can't find a win. Maybe the confidence could dip given uh, the exit of the Champions League now. And uh, finally, I'll mention Newcastle, the heartbreak. I mean, Newcastle, fair play. People were sharing the XG of PSG. Did I say that right? I think I did. Um, online after the game. But Newcastle got that goal. If Newcastle didn't get that goal, it might have been a different game. But they get that goal. So they retreat. It's what Eddie Howe does. It's what teams do. They weren't pressing much because of the situation they were in. They hardly had any players. I mean, if you looked at the bench, it's crazy how thin that squad is at the minute. But that performance, this kind of siege mentality that Eddie Howe can can get in his teams and um, especially when they play at home but also in the Champions League we've seen in these big games when they go away from home they ride their luck they ride their luck of course they do but you you make your own luck if you've got someone like Nick Pope in the middle of the sticks you no know, that's great <laughs> because he's a great keeper you've got Lascelles playing his heart out for the team it is fantastic to see Lascelles back in the team not just back in the team as you know someone's injured let's put him in for a few games he's playing exceptionally well I bet the Newcastle fans are buzzing, but that it just brings me back to that point about Eddie Howe. He is able to do it. He's able to work in really, really tricky conditions. Maybe Bournemouth helped him with that. And then, you know, you see the siege mentality. He went and studied Diego Simeone, didn't he, for a summer in uh, in in Madrid, watching Atletico train. And you can see it in the way they defend. It is very good to watch. I think people like watching Newcastle because of the energy, uh, because of the passion, but because of that sort of last-ditch nature and uh, aggression in their defending. I, I certainly love watching those games at St. James's Park this season. But that draw in Paris um, does put PSG into second. Dortmund top on 10 points. Newcastle can't catch them. But that next game for Newcastle... At St. James's Park, 
hosting AC Milan. So on five points, worse goal difference than Newcastle, but Newcastle are going to be hoping, one, that they can beat AC Milan at St. James's Park. It's going to be some atmosphere. And two, PSG cannot get the job done against Dortmund. A draw for PSG and a win for Newcastle could be enough based on goal difference. But it is PSG that leads by a single goal at the moment. So it is an interesting story. Um, maybe Newcastle take an early lead. PSG still nil-nil. You can see how the night might get tense at times. Just to round up the Champions League then, I'm looking at some of the tables and uh, as I said before, Group A very close, five points and four points um, there. Bayern, obviously, they're going to go through. In Group C, we knew it would be between Real Madrid and Napoli and Real Madrid have been uh, superb. They've won five out of five, 13 goals scored. Ancelotti knows what he's doing in the Champions League, to say the least, and so do Real Madrid. Napoli will probably go through second, but uh, there is just three points between them and Braga, but you would expect Napoli to, to get the job done. So that was the Champions League this week. It was quite exciting, I thought. I'm recording this on the Thursday, so uh, no thoughts on the Europa League. Sorry, because it hasn't happened yet. So now on to the weekend's fixtures, and I'm going to go through the site and um, I'll hit record as and when I uh, see anything that interests me or I find something that we might want to add to our bets for this weekend. The first thing to mention about the Premier League this weekend is that there is no 12.30 kickoff after these European games. Um, I wonder what Jurgen Klopp thinks about that. Five games on the Saturday. I'll run through them now. And the final game is the one we are going to look at first because it is a belter. Three o'clock games, Arsenal-Wolves, that's top of the table, Arsenal, by the way. Wolves probably raring to go. Gary O'Neill has probably got those players riled up after that uh, VAR. I mean, I don't even want to mention it. I think those words, those letters should be banned from this podcast going forward. I mentioned the heartbreak for Newcastle. I didn't go into details because what's the point? It's just annoying. I don't understand, and I've never understood how the people in the room whose job it is to know the rules and watch the game can can get it so wrong. And then straight after the game, UEFA comes out and says, if it touches here and then goes, that is not a penalty. All right, okay. Why are you telling us this? Why tell the people you employ to to make the right calls that that's the rule? Don't tell us. We know it's the rule. We're watching at home saying that's not a penalty. I think the refs and uh, maybe VAR is sort of buckling to pressure now. They want to intervene. It's got to be a hands-off kind of system, I think. And if there's something that is... I mean, they, they said it themselves when they brought it in, clear and obvious. And it's okay to stop the game to take the time to look at the rules. I mean, do they have the rules there whilst the game... Do they actually have the rules or are they just like, hmm, I have memorised every rule? And I guess it comes down to interpretation, especially in, in Europe, the interpretation of the rules seems to be very different. But in, if that's the case, the rules should be rewritten. There shouldn't be... You shouldn't be able to have interpretation in rules because then that leads to differences and inconsistencies in the game. And that... Take away the context. We could be talking about snakes and ladders here. If there's inconsistencies or there's ability to have interpretation into the rules, the game changes, right? If you're playing snakes and ladders and you land on a snake, you might have a different interpretation of what that snake can do. Oh, you've just rolled a six, you're on ladders, mate. Ladders in my world, they're all broken down the middle, so yeah, good luck getting up them. 
I just said I wasn't going to talk about VAR and um, I just ranted about VAR, so apologies. Yeah, so Wolves away at Arsenal. I think Gary O'Neill, I think he handled it quite well. He wasn't angry. He was, he was like, well, you know, he's disappointed, not angry. It's a bit worse, isn't it? He's just coming out and, and spitting facts about it. And it wasn't just one decision for them. And um, the thing is, with subjective decisions, it, this is it. It's interpretation. You can't slow everything down and have like four or five people in one room. It should just be one person, I think. Just too many cooks in the kitchen, potentially, in that VAR room. Brentford Luton, um, 11th hosting 17th. That's another three o'clock game. Luton have conceded in every single away game that they've played so far this season. But they do come into this off the back of that win, don't they, at home against Palace that was a good win for them did predict that in the last podcast episode and in this one I think Brentford probably going to be a very tricky game for them I think they'll definitely concede and with Luton it looks like if they're going to win win games this season it's going to be by scoring maybe one or two goals they're not prolific as of yet certainly they've scored in just 57% of their away games Uh, Brentford on the other hand scoring 86% of home games and uh, Brentford I think we'll see a different Brentford in terms of the the performance against Arsenal they're not going to sit in and look for that that quick ball out Um, they're going to try and dominate this game I don't think we'll see five at the back for for sure Um, and uh, Brentford I think they're due a win you know (laughs) Um, whatever that means Now, that cliche brings us to a team uh, that probably is due a win. Um, 20th placed Burnley. Vincent Company will certainly think they're due a win, won't he? Um, Given the way they played last week and threw away a lead against West Ham at home. They've got another home game, another big chance to get their second win of the season. It would be the first win at home. They've lost every single home game, Burnley. And they welcome Sheffield United, who have picked up points in the last few games. And they've scored in each of the last three games as well. They've beaten Wolves, they've picked up a point at Brighton, um, and then they lost at home last week against AFC Bournemouth. But I wouldn't discount Sheffield United because of that Bournemouth result. I just think Bournemouth are are riding a wave at the minute. Bournemouth are playing really, really well. So this could be another tricky one for Burnley. I don't believe it'll be a high-scoring game. I think Burnley will look to just keep the ball, which they're very good at. They've had spells this season. I remember the Man United game. I think they had 66% possession against Man United, and it just took a moment of of magic to, to get the winner for Man United, similar to what they did at Fulham, you know. So we will see what happens in that one. I said I was going to reel these off quickly, but I couldn't help myself from just clicking into the game. Um, Nottingham Forest, Everton. uh, Forest win is what I would uh, predict there, but you never know. Everton are playing um, a little bit better, but I think the away games might be trickier for them this season. And on top of that, Forest are very good at home. They've only lost once at home this season. But incidentally, they've got some very tough games to come because if you look at who they've played so far at home, Sheffield United... Burnley, Brentford, Luton, Villa, Brighton, and now Everton. So none of the uh, you know top six, as you will, obviously Aston Villa came there and lost, by the way. Um, they beat Aston Villa 2-0. Aston Villa playing an incredibly high line that day. And of course, Forest have got pace. Um, they've got pace on the break. And they've got some good energetic midfielders. I think they've got a, a pretty solid team. And I think they'll be fine this season. 
And after the 3-0 defeat to Manchester United, Everton are still looking to pick up their first points since the 10-point deduction. I thought Everton were pretty good, actually, against Man United. Um, they, they put them under quite a lot of pressure in the first half. They, they, they won the XG battle, I think it was 2.54 uh, to Man United's two, I think, which included a penalty and a Garnacho strike, which was uh, out of this world. 5.30 is the time for Forest Everton because later in the day, we have Newcastle hosting Manchester United. Really excited about this one. Newcastle have scored in every home game and both teams come into this on the back of a European draw. I think both will be a little bit deflated by that draw. I mean, Man United for sure, they will be hurting and Eric Ten Hag will be frustrated given how his team threw away that game. They really did. Whereas Eddie Howe, it's like, you know, you had the game and you needed a bit of a bit of luck from PSG. I mean, PSG played played well in the second half, but they were able to change the game with substitutions and, and just inject pace into the game. So I do think it was quite remarkable how Newcastle held on so, so well until the unfortunate penalty incident. That was almost the perfect away day performance in the Champions League in that situation. You know, Simeone would be proud. Jose Mourinho would be proud. It was that type of performance. And for Eddie Howe, you know, it's amazing to see the transformation since he's been at Newcastle. He he was always a good up-and-coming manager, but his teams did concede a lot of goals. When you think about the budget and the players that are in the defence, it's, you know, Nick Pope cost £10 million. What a signing from Burnley. Why weren't other teams not in for Nick Pope? He's a great goalkeeper. You know, he might not be an Edison type with his feet. He's still OK, but he's a great goalkeeper he's a giant of a man he collects crosses he saves shots and uh, he'll be devastated he nearly got to the Mbappe penalty if his arm was a little bit bigger his positioning was pretty good but you know Dan Byrne coming in what was that 13 million from Brighton these are not massive massive signings Lascelles coming back into the team as I mentioned at the start of the podcast fantastic stuff and he's throwing young players in there as well Kieran Trippier coming back again what was it 12 million or something from from Atletico Madrid they're really smart signings signing the right types of players Anthony Gordon is going to be a real real danger even in this game, I think um, Dallow will leave space for Anthony Gordon. Uh, Wambasaka played last night, as I record this, so maybe Wambasaka will play this game. Who knows? Defensively, I think you would definitely rather start Wambasaka in this game over someone like Dallow. But that will be an interesting matchup to watch out for. Isak is in good form. He doesn't need many chances to score. But against this Man United team, he might get a few. Now, in terms of Premier League form, it's actually pretty good for Manchester United. They've won five of the last six games. But after Manchester City, this is the next toughest game. This might be the toughest game that most teams play this season away at St. James's Park. When I watch Man United, there is something missing. And Maynou coming in, if he starts this game, I think this could be a massive moment for him. Potentially, it's going to be very tough for him. It's going to be very tough for Maynou if he starts this game. Just thinking about it now, because you've got Joe Linton, you've got Bruno Guimaraes in there. They'll not give him an easy time. Anthony Gordon will want to get on him straight away. But even so, I think I would rather start him 
instead of Amrabat, given what I saw last night of Amrabat. Manu came on against Galatasaray, he was all right. He wasn't at fault for the goal, but it was, you know, the, the guy ran past him and then incredible touch and, and finish from the Galatasaray player. But yeah, I think it's going to be a tough battle in that midfield against Newcastle. It always is. You've always got to be up for it. And um, Joe Linton is on a bit of a rampage at the minute. You know, he got sent off for Brazil. He's come back and he's he's, he's playing a very aggressive game at the moment. And um, even against PSG as well, there was a, a few moments and that would have really killed Newcastle if they got someone sent off from the midfield because they just didn't have anybody on the bench. Newcastle might have the upper hand when it comes to the mind games for this one. They, uh, Beat Manchester United 3-0 in the Carabao Cup on the 1st of November, so not long ago at all. And there was still injury hit there. I don't think they had Isak or Wilson on the pitch from the start of the game. I think Paul Dummett played as well. I think they actually had four fullbacks um, as their defence, similar to, to Tottenham last week. So finally for this game, I'll just go through the probability model on odd alerts for the uh, Newcastle Man United game. And it's giving Newcastle a 48.6% uh, outcome, and that is just over evens. And the actual odds for Newcastle are 1.95, as I record this on Bet365. Um, 2.04 with Unibet. So it's very close, you know, in terms of the probability model. It's because it puts a lot of weight on Newcastle being very good at home, and I think the bookies are as well, under evens for, for the majority of the bookmakers at the moment and I would have to agree I think Newcastle are favourites even with the injury crisis that they find themselves in I think they've got enough quality certainly to take the lead and Man United seem to be starting games better than the end games even when they win there's this kind of ineffective nature of the performance and there's pockets of games where you look and think that's good do that more do that all the time play out from the back that way all the time if you can and then they'll just go and hoof it and try and have it held up by Martial it doesn't work Anthony he's not going to you know use his strength Rashford the same and Hoyland you know I think he can be a good player a good, a good Premier League striker but he's he's not there yet I don't believe he's scored a Premier League goal as of yet this will be a, a great time and a great place to get one so what we'll do now is look at Sunday's games and uh, go through some of the, the key stats and the, the things that stand out to me. And we will create a double based on two of these Premier League games. It's a very good day of football on Sunday, to say the least. We start with Liverpool-Fulham. Liverpool, very good at Anfield, scored in every game. Uh, there's been two or more goals in every game as well. Um, they are third in the table. Who knows where they'll be once those games kick off, though. That one is at 2pm, as is West Ham hosting Palace. I saw an article recently, I think it was um, Dan Story on, on Twitter, the, the, the football journalist, and um, I think it was something like, a Crystal Palace living or just existing, you know? Because Hodgson... He did a great job in keeping them up and just securing the team, just steadying the ship, if you will. But it feels like somebody could go in there, Graham Potter, and take that club to the next level. That's who I would be going for if if he was available and uh, willing to join. I think they've got some really, really exciting players. And I think they're at a crossroads, actually, because if they don't make a statement on the identity of the club then those players will leave. They will leave anyway, but you might be able to secure their services for another year or two if you bring in somebody that really, really can get the best out of them because, you know, to have Elise and Eze in the same team and, and still have it feel like you're not really getting the best out of them. If one of those went to Brighton, for example, um, there would be a lot of fun to watch. And uh, Crystal Palace, despite having these exciting players 
they're not really that fun to watch. They've scored 13 goals in 13 games. They average one goal per game. And it's also true of their away form. They've scored seven in seven, averaging one goal per game. West Ham averaging 1.83 goals per game at home. And West Ham do come into this on the back of a couple of victories in the Premier League, scoring two or more goals in both of those games as well. Clean sheets have been hard to come by, though, at home for David Moyes and his side. Just one at home this season, and that was against Sheffield United. And that article that I mentioned is mainly due to the form of of Crystal Palace. They've lost four of the last five games. They've conceded two or more in every one of those defeats. The only victory was away at Burnley. So I wouldn't say they're in any kind of form. They've won four games this season out of 13, coming against Sheffield United, Wolves, Manchester United, and then Burnley away. I think it's likely that you see goals in that West Ham game, to be honest. BTTS is currently 1.85. I do quite like that. As we've seen, Palliser averaging one goal per game. It doesn't exactly fill you with confidence, but you then have to ask, do they have enough in their team to cause West Ham some problems? And they absolutely do. It just rests on, I think, how West Ham set up. West Ham have been playing in Europe as well, but West Ham at home, the fans might expect a different kind of performance to the one they might give, let's say, if this was away at Crystal Palace or away at a top six team. Next up, the Moises Caicedo derby. Chelsea hosting Brighton 10th, hosting 8th. Um, Chelsea, they've improved in recent weeks, but then they went to Newcastle, didn't they? And I think Newcastle was sublime. They were all over them like a rash. They were causing mistakes. And that is, I think, what Chelsea's problem has been this season. Two things, really. Mistakes and missed chances. They're not two great things to consistently do. It was a goal-filled November for Chelsea. They played three games. They played against Spurs, City and Newcastle. So, And now they play against Brighton, by the way. So it's been a tough run for them. In fact, since October, they've played Arsenal, Brentford, Spurs, City, Newcastle and now Brighton. We knew it was a tough run. They've only won one of those games. That was away at Spurs when Spurs went down to nine men. And uh, what I was going to say at the start of that passage was that in, in November... Every game had five or more goals. Quite remarkable. 4-1 against Spurs, 4-4 against City, and then a 4-1 defeat, of course, at St. James's Park last week. And it'll be interesting to see the defensive lineup from Pochettino. Does he stick with Thiago Silva? Because I think De Zerbi will certainly look to target him in terms of putting pressure on him and playing similar to Newcastle in not giving the defence a minute's rest because he's 39, is he? He needs a rest during the game. And at St. James's Park, you didn't get it for 90 minutes. They were relentless against Chelsea. And I think that's still a weakness for all the money they've spent. Um, they've had a few knocks to Colwell, Fafana, of course, very unlucky with injuries. If all those players were fit all the time, Chilwell, Reese James, it is a different look and feel There's more energy, there's more security, a bit more assurance as well. Thiago, don't get me wrong, he's been a phenomenal defender all his life. Um, He's had an incredible career. And to be still playing at this level, not just playing, but as a centre-back in the Premier League, whilst, you know, the players are getting younger and faster and stronger, um, massive, massive credit to him. But he is on the decline. 
And something I've mentioned on every episode of this podcast and probably every time Brighton comes into a conversation that I'm having is that BTTS has landed in every single game. I find it remarkable. I can't remember a spell that lasted this long in the Premier League. Maybe I'll have to look at the data on that one and get back to you. But 13 games in a row and you keep asking yourself, can it happen again? Well, they're playing Chelsea, who have kept just one clean sheet at home all season. And that's not the only thing that might be a bit surprising about Chelsea's home form. They've only won once at home this season. And if you're a Chelsea fan, you will know that that was against Luton, a game that you really, really should be expecting to win. They've, they've won 3-0, fair play. Sterling was great in that game. So BTTS, a possible option there. Let's just take a look at the odds, actually, because surely the bookies are, are cottoning on now, shall we say, to the, the BTTS trend for Brighton. 1.64. As I record this, that's the peak odds at the moment. If you were going to go no, you'd get 2.5 with William Hill. Um, and uh, the lowest, incidentally, is also with William Hill, 1.5. So not personally worth it for me, but it is a game I might explore more. Next game is also really interesting. Also at 2pm, Bournemouth hosting Villa. On paper, you might think this is a bit of a, a routine victory for Aston Villa. Another away win. Great win at Spurs last week. But Bournemouth have been really good in recent weeks, and I wouldn't write them off from this game. They are certainly playing without fear now. You know, after that run that they went on at the start of the season, losing all the time, what a couple of wins can do for you. And the confidence and and the belief in what the manager there is actually trying to get the players to do. Once you see it working in a game, and against Newcastle, they they were exceptional. They were all over Newcastle like a rash, and that's what Newcastle do. That's their trick. They do that to you. So to do it against Newcastle, of course, injury hit Newcastle, but then they went to Sheffield United, and they were they were really good again. They weren't as good, but they were still very good. They scored three goals. Sheffield United helped them out with one of them, or, or at least the keeper did. But I think confidence is, is brewing and growing at Bournemouth, and um, that will worry certain teams. It'll worry Forest, it'll worry Luton, it'll worry Burnley, and it'll certainly worry Sheffield United. But my respect for Unai Emery just keeps growing and growing, and um, I can see him just pulling off something here. You know, he's he's a fascinating, fascinating manager. He really is, and... I think he was so harshly treated when he was at Arsenal just by the media and um, the you know the fans and the banter and everything. He is a fantastic coach. He really is, and he's proved it. If you commit to him, give him the resources, but actually allow him to shape the club. At PSG, there was a story about him going to the board with a, a short list of players that he wanted, and they came back to him and said, mm, we're, signing, uh, we're signing Neymar, it was at the time, £220 million. And he's like, well, yeah, okay, but I sort of need a holding midfielder and a centre-back. Yeah, but we're getting Neymar, so deal with it, Unai. And the final game on Sunday, 4.30, is Man City hosting Spurs. I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, but I think it might fall flat in our expectations. If we expect a close game, I personally think the, the injuries to, to Spurs at the minute are going to be too much. I think Angie's going to set them up in a certain way to try and do a job. On City, I think if you play the way Ange wants to play at City with players like Hoiberg on the pitch instead of someone like Benton Kerr, I think that injury is massive because against Villa, he was really doing a lot of work and they were the first 15, 20 minutes against um, against Villa. I know I mentioned it on the last episode, but they did create a lot. Kulosevsky hit the post and that offside trap 
uh, you saw maybe the stats on Monday Night Football, it's almost double like the, the, the amount that Villa catch people offside. So City coming into this off the back of the Champions League wobble, you could say, but certainly a wobble individually for some of those defenders across the last month for City, as I mentioned at the, the top of the podcast. So Spurs will get chances in this game. I do believe that. But I don't think they have the striker to bully that City defence. If Harry Kane was there now, it'd be perfect. I remember, I think it might have been last season or the season before, Kulosevsky, when he first signed for Spurs, they went to City. And I think they came from behind and or they won 3-1 or 3-2. And it was a great performance from Kulosevsky. But Kane was vital because he was linking everything up. I'm not sure Son is as good. I mean, he's definitely not as good as as Kane in the build-up. But it's okay if you've got Madison. It's okay if you've got Saar and Basuma, and they're both, you know, they're on song as they were at the start of the season. And you've got Van de Ven. I mean, I've not even mentioned the defence for Tottenham. Um, I don't believe Romero's back yet. I think this is the final game of his suspension. I think he's back on the 7th of December. So without all those players, if... Emerson Royale is playing at centre-back and Ben Davies, nothing against him, but he's not a centre-back and he's no way near as good as Van de Ven or Romero. I just think it's going to be tough for Spurs. They might stay in the game for a bit, but ultimately those players that I've just mentioned, they're going to get pulled around everywhere. Every battle that you look at on the pitch, it's hard to bet against Man City, whether it's the midfield battle you're just not betting against Rodri and Bernardo Silva. Even if it was against Skip, Saar, if he's back potentially, Hoiberg, even if you throw Basuma in there, you're still going to back Rodri and Bernardo Silva and uh, Akanji slash Stones to just keep the ball between themselves and find Doku or Grealish and Alvarez, who's been amazing, Foden. Good luck keeping him quiet. And then spearheading it all, of course, is Erling Haaland, who playing against Ben Davies and Emerson Royale, he must be licking his lips. But never say never, Spurs fans. I just, you know, I'm just trying to be a realist uh, when I look at the team news. It, it just affects you. It just does. I mean, you've not, you didn't have the great depth going into the season. Um, I've seen Spurs fans say that they've got some of the best depth in midfield in the league. I just think that is ridiculous. Good depth is when you can have a player come in and you don't have to change your style. Now, Ange might be saying, I'm not changing my style, but it, you're getting other players to play the style that clearly can't. So I don't I don't count that as good depth. If Hoiberg comes in for Bentoncourt and you say to him, play that role, play like Bentoncourt, and he can't, that's not good depth. If Brian Hill comes in for James Madison or Lo Celso comes in for James Madison and he's not able to replicate even a little bit of what Madison does, that's not good depth. If Kulosevsky, who can hug a touchline and cut in and his left footed gets injured and, well, there is nobody to replace Kulosevsky in this squad. And with Brennan Johnson still finding his feet, Brian Hill largely ineffective, it's an area where Spurs probably will look to strengthen in January, they've been unlucky with injuries. Solomon, Richarlison, Benton Kerr, Madison, Van der Ven. It is really, really unfortunate, uh, the injuries that they've got. But you can't get out of playing against Man City away, unfortunately. And you've got to field players on the pitch. And um, if it's Emerson Royale and Ben Davies at centre-back, I, uh, I can't see anything other than a Manchester City win. And you know what? 
the bookies agree with me. I'm just looking at the odds here. 1.33 is the highest you will get, and that is with 1x bet. So they were the Premier League games. What I'm going to do now is uh, put together a double using these fixtures and some of the you know analysis that I've just given. I've got two selections here. Now you can choose if you want to play them as a double or singles. Um, it is up to you. The first comes from Burnley, Sheffield United, and it is half with most goals. I'm going to go second half. In terms of second half goals conceded, Sheffield United and Burnley are both first and second in the Premier League. 22 second half goals conceded for Sheffield United this season and 19 in 13 games for Burnley. And on top of that, I think this could be a tight game. Both teams really don't want to lose this game. And I think it'll come a time where both teams might bite the bullet, maybe 60, 70 minutes and think, right, we're going to go for this. And Burnley, not the most clinical of teams. It's rare that they score more than one goal. So it might be in their best interest to just keep the ball, make sure they're in control of the game and maybe they can can try and get a winner um, in the second half. I think that might be the approach for both teams. We'll, we'll have to see, but certainly there is a trend in terms of goals conceded in the second half for both of these teams. Second one comes from Forest hosting Everton, expecting a bit of a tight game. Forest got a good win against Villa, but of course, you know, I mentioned the, the high line. I don't think you'll see Everton playing in the same way. Um, so the bet for this one is under four goals. It's a bet builder, under four goals. Forest or draw, so the double chance, and then over one card in the second half. I think it will be a bit of a scrappy game in the middle. A lot of bodies in there. And that treble within the, the bet builder is 2.15. So over evens for both of these bets. 2.05 on the, the second half bet from the Burnley game. And 2.15 for this one. So just once more, that is a double chance for Forest or the draw. Under four goals and over one cards in the second half. When you look at the home and away form, both of these teams have received two or more cards in 83% of games. And the referee for this one is Paul Tierney, who has so far produced 4.57 cards per game in the Premier League. So that was the, the podcast. Um, I wanted to cover a bit more of Europe and maybe get some some plays from there. But honestly, I'm looking at the timer now and obviously I, I have to edit this. It's one hour, four minutes at the moment just from recording, which is mental. I must have had fun recording this one. Um, I'll get this up on Thursday. So you've got uh, Thursday, Friday and Saturday morning to digest it. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, and if you have, feel free to, to leave a review, leave a like wherever you're watching this or listening to this. And uh, I appreciate it. And I will see you in the next one.